Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. This is your host Mariana speaking and you are listening to the Commitment to Growth podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back. If you're new, welcome. And if you're not new, welcome back. Thank you for choosing the Commitment to Growth podcast as your daily source of wisdom and insight and hopefully a little boost of serotonin to get you through your day, whatever time of the day you find yourself listening to this. How are you? How have you been? How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I hope your day is off to a great start. And if you are listening to this in the evening, I hope you had a lovely day filled with lots of fulfillment, lots of things done, and lots of presence because 2022 is the year where we focus on presence over productivity. Am I right or am I right? (laughs) I hope you're doing well. It's crazy that it's April as I'm recording this, April 2022. It feels like this year has flown by. It's been such an interesting season of growth and so many exciting things for myself and for the show. And I just want to say Thank you for your support, just you being here and choosing to be here today to learn and to grow with me and with Malcolm, who is this week's guest on the show, is so incredible and it is such an honor to have you here and to have you listening and to have you sharing this space with us because I am super excited to share with you this conversation. So a few things to cover before we get into today's episode. The first being a new addition that I'm implementing to the Commitment to Growth podcast. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you leave a rating, so you can give us X amount of stars based on what you think, hopefully it's five, (laughs) but if you leave a rating and a review telling me something in the comments of your review, what you learned, so one life lesson that you took away from this show that you're tuning into, and leave me your Instagram handle. Every week, I will be picking someone from the reviews to read out their comment, read out what life lesson they took away from the podcast episode, because I love hearing what you learn from these brilliant conversations. So if you are one of the lucky people that I choose from the comment section, I will read you out, give you a shout out. Hopefully people can, that'll direct people towards your Instagram and to your page and what you're doing on there. And it's another way for me to connect with the people who are listening on here, because that is very important to me to know who's listening, who is dedicating their time to coming to hear my voice, as well as the beautiful people that also come onto the show. So If you're here today and you enjoy this episode, leave the Commitment to Growth podcast a rating and a review either on Apple or Spotify. Leave me your Instagram handle and I will go through them in the next couple days and hopefully pick somebody to give a shout out to in the next episode. So that's new for me. Now, this conversation is a little bit different because this is a recording of a live conversation that I had on the Wisdom app. Now, this show, this particular episode is in no way sponsored by the Wisdom app, but let me tell you about this incredible platform, which I have recently found myself on 
as a recent top mentor of the app, a top conversationalist on there, because I'm just on there so much talking to such brilliant people. And so far, I've made such beautiful, insightful connections with Malcolm Reese being one of them, the individual that we're going to hear on today's podcast episode. But anyways, what this app is, is essentially a platform that allows you connect that allows you to connect with real people in real time. You're just sitting down, having a conversation with somebody. You can either hop onto the conversation that they are hosting on their channel if they're inviting people on, or if they're giving a segment of their own, you can listen to them in real time. It's amazing and it's intimate because, you know, I love podcasting. Obviously, podcasting is my main gig, but there's something about tuning into someone's conversation in real time that just makes you feel so connected to them and so close and it has come as such a treat for me especially after you know social distancing and everything that we have endured over these last two years with covid and it has just been so nice and the community of individuals on there are incredible because these are all individuals who are just looking to engage with others, to engage in insightful conversation, to engage in uncomfortable conversation. And I have just loved this app so much and I'm so honored to have been recently named one of their top mentors. So if you are looking for a platform to get more learnings about as it pertains to your self-development journey, to your personal growth journey, or you're just looking to network with more people because there's people of all kinds of backgrounds on there. I'm talking like life coaches, business coaches, financial analysts, um, doctors, mental health practitioners, like everybody is talking on there about a wide variety of topics. I highly suggest you check it out. Again, this episode is not sponsored by the Wisdom app, but as a top mentor on there and somebody who's having a really good time and doing while doing something that is very closely tied to what we're doing here on the Commitment to Growth podcast, I highly encourage you to go check it out. So that is the Wisdom app. It is right now available on iOS and the Android version of the app is coming soon. So be sure to look out for that if you are listening on Android. Now to get into today's conversation. So like I mentioned, this is a live snippet from a talk that I had on the Wisdom app with someone that I feel so blessed and so privileged to say is now one of my dear close friends. Let me let me just tell you a little bit about Malcolm Reese and how this intimate and beautiful friendship came to be. So Malcolm was hosting a open conversation table as he does on the Wisdom app where he just allowed people to come on, talk live with him for about 15 minutes and just talk about whatever they wanted to touch on, whether it was their life story or they wanted to ask Malcolm a question. And I happened to, it was like a Friday night, I happened to be swiping through the app and came across his conversation and was listening to his conversation with another guest that he had just invited on. And I was instantly and immediately drawn to Malcolm's incredible ability to hold space for people, how beautifully he does it and how just present he is when he talks to people. And so I put myself in the queue because I was like, I need to talk to, I need to talk to this guy. Like, this is so cool. I love what he's doing. And after multiple people listening to their segments with him, I finally got a chance to be on after being very scared that he was going to give out because he had already been talking to people for like two hours. But 
I got to be a guest. We connected. We had an awesome conversation. You can also check that out on his wisdom profile. I think, I believe it's conversation table number two or three, but we connected, had an awesome conversation. I messaged him after on Instagram, asking him if he wanted to be a guest on the Commitment to Growth podcast. He said yes, thankfully. And this was that was followed by this conversation that I am sharing with you today. And wow, am I ever excited because this was such a powerful conversation. I just want to warn you ahead of time to have a box of tissues beside you because Malcolm shares his very intimate, personal, and powerful story of his years in adoption when he was younger and everything that came after that and everything that came in between. And it is so beautiful. And I just, I wanted to give him a hug so badly after this conversation, but unfortunately he is in Ohio in the United States and I am in Victoria in Canada, but nonetheless, it was a beautiful conversation. I feel so blessed to have had it and I am so excited to share it with you because everything he shares just touches you at the deepest level. And to tell you a bit more about Malcolm, because I could just go on about this incredible human being forever, but Malcolm is a U.S. military serviceman and host for a financial channel that is geared towards giving financial tips and insight on the stock market and macroeconomics. He is also a mental health advocate, a top conversationalist, and fellow top mentor on the Wisdom app, and just such a creative and beautiful individual, and I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation, hopefully to pull as much insight from it as I did and to pull as many life questions from it as I did. And let's get right into it. I'm so excited for you to listen. Before we do that, just want to take a quick second to acknowledge that this episode is being recorded from the land of the Wasanish peoples who are presented by the Sartlip, Sayout, Saikam, Malahat, and Pukwachin nations. And as always, as a privilege uninvited settler to this land, uninvited visitor. I acknowledge the privilege that I hold here. I acknowledge the the harsh, dark history over which this land stands and over which my privilege stands as somebody residing here and directly benefiting from the land. And I continue to support the indigenous communities residing on this land still who are working to re-establish their connections, re-establish their culture, re-establish their relationships to the land that was once taken away from them. And I look forward to continuing to encourage you to engage in this conversation on decolonization and building trusting relations and working to heal the very deep-rooted trauma that permeates our history, especially as it pertains to the Indigenous communities in our personal communities. And without further ado, here is my chat on wisdom with Malcolm Reese. Welcome back, everyone. We are going live with Malcolm Reese today. Super excited. Like I said, hopefully you have something beside you to write with, to get ready for the amount of knowledge and insight that is about to be dropped on this conversation. I'm super duper excited to invite on none other than malcolm reese here today hi malcolm sorry about that oh you're all good i i do that all the time (laughs) (laughs) i keep forgetting i'm i'm still i'm still getting used to it um how are you happy sunday 
Happy Sunday. Um, I am getting my coffee, actually. So, mm. yeah, I'm doing Cheers. pretty good. I'm glad to hear that. I've also got mine here beside me with a new mug that I bought from the thrift store. So I'm feeling pretty jazzy. What can Ooh, I say? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm, How are you? I'm good. Thank you. This has been long awaited. So I am really excited to chat with you today and to just get as much insight out of you as I possibly can because I'm excited. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I'm, excited. I'm, I'm also excited as well. Beautiful. Well, why don't we just get right into it? Um, we're going to kind of host this like a podcast episode for anybody who's tuning in right now because this will be posted as an episode to my podcast. So I like to give my guests a chance to introduce themselves to the crowd and just tell us their story about how they came to be where they are today. So why don't we start there, Malcolm? Tell us the journey of Malcolm to where you are right now as we are sitting here with our respective coffees on this fine Sunday. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So I, per the, per the conversation that I had with Stephen McCall yesterday, um, for those that tuned in, you guys caught a glimpse of, of my past and in, in the interest of me, like summarizing that. So I was adopted and from that adoption, I grew through, through academic structured systems and, and all of these like uh, facilities that I would have to go through. And eventually I got adopted and after being adopted, I stayed with the Reese's of course. And then afterwards, well, progressing from that, I eventually got into luckily like some um, student programs with band because I fell in love with music at a very young age. And mm -hmm. through schooling, I found more passion in exploring what there is outside of school. So I joined the military and mm. I collected a lot of great, great knowledge and spoke with really, really powerful people, which is what also propelled me for in my military career. I went in as a very, very low rank, like the lowest of the low. And I'm actually glad that I'm, I, I did that because it was the experience of not having the 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 privilege of being at a at a high rank because i feel like at the time i wouldn't have been grateful for the position that i was in so i got in at a very low mm -hmm. rank and i'm at it i'm an e4 now so and i'm mm -hmm. going for my e5 so soon to be sergeant um mm -hmm. and then after now i guess i would say i am a um i'm in the national guard so like a weekend warrior as they call us <laughs> it's mm, uh nice. yeah funny funny word um, and I would say now I'm in the process of moving to a different, um, state in California to progress my uh, business prospects with, uh, mm -hmm. content creation and also, uh, real estate development as well. So that's mm -hmm. what brings me to today to have the privilege to speak with you. That's like a, in a nutshell in, uh, the history of Malcolm. There's not really, I don't think there's really much to it, but I could be wrong. <laughs> That's just me though. Well, can I unpack a little bit of what you said there? Yeah, sure thing. Beautiful. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that with us and congratulations on soon to be Sergeant. That's really exciting. Um, thank you. How about we start with adoption, if you don't mind me prodding at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can you tell us 
what that was what what age were you when you got adopted and what the journey what you experienced up to getting adopted like what did it feel when you had a family um to call yours after being through several or through different systems um so i finally got adopted by the age of nine and I was in the system all the way up until then, but I was fostering with different families and I fostered with Reese family for a vast majority of my youth. So I was in and out and I would always have to meet with a co uh, social worker mm-hmm. and it's, it's not fun at all um, at, mm-hmm. by any means. And I wouldn't wish for anyone to have to go through uh, an adoption experience um, and being with different families, it's kind of difficult trying to find a place where you fit in because you're always with different strangers and you're just, mm-hmm. I would, and this is, well, um, I, I guess I can, I, I'll, yeah, I'll expand on this. So there were times mm-hmm. where I would always feel like I, I didn't have anybody to talk to except for my close siblings. And even then I didn't get the time to speak mm-hmm. with them because we were always separated so I was, it was always like us, it was like a reunion whenever we would meet back at the facility, that main facility where they, um, where we would like spend nights at, I wouldn't call it a group home per se, because I wasn't, it's not like I didn't have uh, parents. So that's um, not like an orphan, but more so just as an, uh, a foster child. So, and, and some people may not know if there's a distinction, a difference between that. There's a, there's a huge difference between an orphan and a foster child, but the, the system, mm-hmm. the process in which they go through is kind of similar. Um, but with that being said, like I didn't, I had a lot of trust issues and it wasn't easy for me to acclimate to newer environments. So Mm -hmm. creating that trust with these strangers was increasingly difficult. And I had tried, I, it was like, I had to adjust everywhere I went and understand that person's intentions, but it just never seemed like nothing really worked. Um, and I equate that to uh, the story, or it's a parable of, um, oh my gosh, it's, uh, is it Goldilocks where she tries the porridge? And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was like, it was, it was like a game of that or like family roulette, but I know I have a, I have a very dark sense of humor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. Yes. Uh, I, from that, process within of itself it was very very hard to adjust and from adjusting with the Reese family was very very reassuring that their intentions were always right and what also made me acclimate a lot faster was that I got adopted with my sister I do have Mm. other brothers and sisters blood relatives but I was it was it's unfortunate that they didn't get to get adopted with me because I actually spoke with my mom last night after the conversation that I had with Stephen McCall, because I was even curious about the whereabouts of my brothers and sisters, because I haven't had the chance to speak with them. And they actually have, um, they have cognitive um, impairment, they're cognitively impaired, and they're right now in like um, a facility where they're being taken care of. Uh, Mm -hmm. So ironically, I was diagnosed with autism at a very, like a, like at infancy and my sister was as well. And she was not able to read, write, or just she, her motor yeah. skills were really poor. Um, I mm-hmm. performed better, better than her at the time. And she was, uh, I'm glad that she was able to uh, persevere through the challenges that were put before her. And with the help of great 
great educators and uh, social workers, we, we definitely found a place in the system because it's as it is to say, and this is a really dark thing to say, but like when you're a foster child, some families will not adopt you if you have any cognitive issues and it's mm -hmm. like they don't really care that much for people with autism in the foster care system and that's really sad to see because you see a lot of that even now um mm -hmm. so it was it was very difficult adjusting on top of the the, the constant changing of environments and people and faces and changing of social workers as well but luckily i was i was able to have that constant support from my um my not only therapist but social worker as well that she put me through these uh, great programs and the adoption um process made it it, it it was an easier adoption process and i was glad to to have such a, a very very well she was very uh what's the word that i can she, she was very persistent she she wouldn't give mm -hmm. up until i found a family which was great um mm -hmm. So I can honestly say that being adopted was was an experience. It was definitely an experience, to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. And thank you for sharing all of that with us in such an open space and for being so vulnerable because I know that it's something that isn't talked about, but it's a reality that permeates our society. And your story is giving space for other people who have been through something similar or who are watching something similar occur in their own lives. And I just want to applaud you and also your family for the human that you are today, despite all of that, because it's a you are the beautiful outcome of, of all of that. And I want to hold space for that. I really appreciate that because for the longest of time, I didn't think I was. And one of the things you have to think about when you when you're dealing with people that come from adoption or any kind of traumatic experience is that you you feel like you can't. It's it, you feel like you can't really fit in because for a vast majority of your youth, you, you were put into positions that you weren't really accepted into environments where nobody may have not liked you at all. And mm -hmm. it can become kind of, well, not kind of, it can become extremely uh, discouraging to be in an mm -hmm. environment for people just to say that they don't want you anymore. It hurts mm -hmm. a lot. Oh. And I guess, well, I, I feel as though some people don't understand the, the, the mental, it, it, it really, honestly, uh, it, it can, it can do a lot to a person. It really can. Mm -hmm. And for lack of a lot of terms that I can't use to describe the experience that I endured, I will say that it is a very uncomfortable experience. But yeah. with that being said, I really didn't see that I had a place and I felt very unworthy um, for a lot of my youth. And I had to build a lot of that up myself. But through the therapy that I seeked as well, a lot of uh, a lot of the things that the therapists, can I, uh, therapists plural, because I had to see a lot of them, they, they, the, the consistency of what they said was to remind yourself where you are now and not where you used to be, meaning don't dwell on the past and use it as excuses to hinder you from your own growth. Mm -hmm. So I took that with me every time that I would feel discouraged or I would go somewhere and not fit in. And even now to this day, like I still sometimes feel a little bit of that, 
I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not to the degree that it once used to be when I was when I was uh, a lot younger. So I'm, I'm glad that I can even see my own growth. And I use mm-hmm. that now, just these memories that sometimes come up whenever I like am asleep or I just wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and I have these random fleeting thoughts about my past and I just go, well, that's not who you are. You can persevere through that. Don't let the challenges that become reminiscent of the past hinder you from mm-hmm. your growth because sometimes the, the current day experiences that I have remind me of the previous experiences that I had. And those are like, um, I believe they're quantified as flashbulb memories. And flashbulb mm-hmm. memories are essentially like a, a memory so let's say that you have your, your, your favorite perfume or fragrance, and mm-hmm. that reminds you of something that you once used to enjoy. So there's good flashbulb memories and bad flashbulb memories. And to some of the bad memories that I have, um, they're associated with some of the bad experiences that I've endured. So sometimes it mm-hmm. can become kind of hindering, and I have to remind myself, like, that's, that's the past. You can, uh, excel, you can progress from this and don't, don't let them consume you. And... That was one of the conversations that we had offline, for which I greatly appreciate you also having a conversation with you because it's kind mm-hmm. of difficult to have conversations with people. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate that. Any time. And um, I'm so sorry. I'm like getting emotional at your story over here because I, I, I feel and I hear everything that you endured and it breaks my heart that there was a point in your life in which you felt like you didn't have a place when now, and I guess this comes back to the idea that you were saying about, you know, that now this is the present, but I also want that. What am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is that now you have such a place here, especially on this community where you are sharing so much about yourself and what you've learned with other people who are taking it and being moved by it and like i said you are the beautiful product of what you endured and i'm sorry that it took you enduring all of that to get to where you are now but i also want to thank you for being so courageous and resilient in sharing this with us because it's phenomenal to and beautiful to see that you are choosing your present right now as a reflection of the fact that you can overcome what you what you went through um and you're turning it into something for other people so i just that's i was very moved I... by your story thank you thank you uh i that's honestly that's that's what drives me to get on here um apart from what i do outside of this because and i think that that might be indistinctly what what drives other people to get on this platform is because there's people that actually listen to you that have actual conversations with you, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the experiences that I had, I, I could never really talk to anybody. I'm mm-hmm. getting emotional, sorry. Um, I could never really talk to anybody about what I went through because they would always dismiss it or they would always just, they didn't really understand. And I can understand that they didn't understand because they didn't go through that kind of experience. but. Mm-hmm. To the degree in which I, I, the energy is reciprocated on this platform, I, I can't equate that to any any human experience that I've had because the only mm-hmm. kind of conversations like this that I would have would be with a counselor. It wouldn't be with mm-hmm. someone that doesn't have a degree in anything. So like 
genuine and authentic conversation is kind of rare to me. And I wasn't used to that. That's why when I first got on this platform and I had like the awesome conversations with people, it was it was foreign to me because I was used mm -hmm. to the exact opposite. So mm -hmm. getting on here is what motivates me because I get to share what I went through with other people. And even if they haven't gone through an experience, I'm just honestly glad that they could at least or try to understand where I'm coming from instead of dismissing what it is that I'm talking about or acting like they care when they don't care because I have been around too many toxic people and influences that have tried to get me to instead of deal with those emotions, but push them back and hold them down and not process mm. them. And that mm -hmm. would deprive me of so much growth. It would make me feel worse than feeling better. And that's honestly, most recently, the past two years where I had uh, done a lot of introspection mm -hmm. and and asking myself, like, is, is this what I want to do with my life? Is this who I want to surround myself by? Am I happy with where I'm at? Am I content with the circumstances? And I would ask myself mm -hmm. that question religiously. And I would always frustrate and just sit up at night looking at the ceiling, ask myself, why? Why me? Why this? And I came to realize that was a negative form of thinking because, especially because there wasn't any kind of action behind it. I would just always, just always aimlessly ask myself these questions. And then once I started to do more uh, thorough introspection, um, after separating myself from these negative influences, it became like a weight off my shoulders. And mm -hmm. to current day, it feels much, much more gratifying to share my personal story with people. Um, and if I can make an impact on anyone's life, then I'm glad. But if not, hey, you know, I'm glad that I could have put it out there into the ether of the web and share the world, uh, share to the world um, my experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I can testify that I have, I am one person that has been moved. So you have my vote, <laughs> at least. <laughs> um, and so we've kind of talked about that experience of yours on here before where you started removing yourself from these toxic relationships, or at least trying to evaluate them. And I want to know, how did you shift into that? Especially, you talked about struggling with feeling like you had a place when you were younger and how that carried into some of your teenage years. How do you feel like evaluating your toxic relationships has helped you heal that in some way? Or was you reflecting on those relationships kind of a byproduct of feeling out of place? Like how are those two intertwined, would you say? It's a, it's a really great question. So because I was struggling to find a place to fit in because I was always in environments where I never felt comfortable withdrawing GQ rate, like I, it was, it was as if I was trying to manifest something, um, to feel a, a greater sense of significance. So mm -hmm. I would try to fit in with these people in hopes of feeling accepted. Um, mm -hmm. and upon realizing that they were not serving me at all and I wasn't serving them at all. And the, the impacts of the things that I would do with these people like hanging out like hanging out wasn't a problem it was the fact like i never really indulged in alcohol or anything like that but then being around these negative influences i was drinking on a constant basis and i started to realize i had to ask myself why am i drinking so much and it's because not only because they're doing it but it says if i'm trying to mask how i feel internally so i was mm -hmm. using it as uh 
as the reason to, I guess, escape from the feelings that I chose to ignore. So when I looked thoroughly in um, why I was doing that, I had to change that habit and turn it into something better than that. So mm. I stopped putting myself around those people that would engage in these rec. Well, I won't say rec. Well, yeah, I'm going to say reckless, uh, in reckless <laughs> activities. And I, from that, became more wholesome to myself. I felt more uh, clear-minded, of course, and I felt relieved of the burdens that these people would place onto me because of me trying to fit into the lifestyles that they were living because I didn't have a, a fulfilling childhood. So because I didn't have mm. a fulfilling or nurturing childhood, I was chasing fantasy, essentially. Mm. So mm -hmm. that's where I had to really ask myself, well, why am I chasing after this, especially if it's not serving me, if it's not doing me any, any kind of good, if it's not helping me with my pursuits? Because I had, and I still do, big dreams. And I felt like mm -hmm. these people were trying to bog me down from these big dreams that I had. So I always kept it in the back of my mind, like, this is what I want to do. I want to change this. I want to change the landscape of the overall structure of adoption and the field. And mm -hmm. I also want to do more than that. I want to help people on a greater scale. And if I can advocate on behalf of someone's, uh, on behalf of mental health, then I, I would love to do that, which I'm actually getting more into in my mm -hmm. current prospects uh, through the military because there's a program and it's, uh, it's called uh, EO, uh, Equal Opportunities. And a lot of mm -hmm. lower enlisted soldiers feel like their voices aren't heard. And these higher enlisted officers, and I have to speak very delicate on this topic because I could get in trouble. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, no a lot of people that have um, a lot of power, they tend to become consumed or, or with the idea of control or they become self-serving and it's not helping when you have people in the military and the service that are dealing with mental health issues and they're not mm. being addressed. We yeah. go through an arduous experience, not only trying to acclimate to the environments that we constantly put into and the circumstances of stress and the arduous work that we do, but we're also trying to understand how we can serve our role for the job that we're designated to do because of what we do. Everybody in the military has a separate job in MOS, and it becomes increasingly difficult when you have the, the stress of people that don't know how to deal with their emotions. They're projecting mm -hmm. that onto people that are also trying to understand what's going on as well. So that's creating more systemic issues. So mm -hmm. that's why I, I'm really, really passionate about talking about mental health so people can feel like they have a voice because yeah. people that don't have a position of influence in the service. They're like the underdogs. They're like what, what they call the grunt workers, so on and so forth. And they're treated mm -hmm. like nothing. And finally, since I have the position to make some kind of change, because now I have people that work under me and I tell them what to do, I don't dismiss w what questions that they have, like all my superiors do. I don't push it to the side and say, I'll get back to you. I ask, I like to ask them, what can I help you with? What can I do for you? And what can I do for you going forward? And if I can push that information up to chain command and fight for you and for what it is that you want to do, then I want to be mm -hmm. that person because I was that person that was lost, confused, disoriented. And I was unaware of what was going on in the environment. It's very fast paced in the military and all branches, mm -hmm. like not just one, it's all, it's all of them. So that's why I, I, I don't want to be the exact kind of person that I 
dislike the people that I didn't mm. really like them. I didn't like a lot of people because of how they would go about their, their teaching. And I never want to be that kind of person. I never planned to be. So I always, always speak with the people, uh, the newer soldiers that come into the unit and I guide them around the unit. And of course, introduce them to the people that they want to know so that they can help progress further into their field of work. And I just navigate them through so they can feel more comfortable with what they do. So I just mm. keep that in my mind uh, in my daily life. Like I, I would never want to model after the people that I don't like. So that's what keeps yeah. me going. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you are choosing to move forward as being what you didn't have when you were going through the same thing for other people now. And that's so important, especially I love that you circled it around to the military because it is a space where conditions are not what human being, not what typical human beings experience on a day to day, obviously. And I don't think people recognize like you could be super indulged in your education on self development and personal growth and healing. But if you subject yourself to these environments periodically, you're mental and emotional resources deplete right so you could have all the information in the world but without feeling like you have the strength without feeling like you have the willpower it's really hard to advocate for yourself and advocate for your mental health and i love that you are doing that for other people especially in a place where it is expected that people don't use their... those emotions yeah. yes exactly and that's so that's the i'm sorry go sorry. ahead go ahead <laughs> go ahead i was going to say that a lot of these people that are in positions of influence they instill a lot of hopelessness and that that can become consuming so consuming that you you start to become a product of that environment and mm -hmm. on a constant basis bump heads with my superiors and I will admit that I have gotten counseled and, and, and gotten in trouble at the expense of advocating on behalf of things that should be addressed. And mm -hmm. I'm perfectly fine with that because I can at least have a clear conscience in knowing that I fought for the right thing. And I always, always speak up. I won't speak out like disrespectfully and I always try to come off in a formal manner, but it shouldn't be, mental health shouldn't be dismissed in any capacity. I'm not saying that you should coddle these people and hold them and cradle them, but if it needs attention, you should address that and not dismiss it. And that's what a lot of our superiors do. And that's why there's so many people that are hopeless in, in terms of mm -hmm. doing and combating on an effort. And now that becomes like a like a domino effect of issues. And and before you know it, everyone in the in the unit is so negative. Like when I got to my unit, everyone there was so like pessimistic and they were like, Well, it's whatever it is. And I asked one of my superiors, I said, well, what can I do to try to contribute towards the effort of improving the mental health and the, the stability of the facility? And he was like, you can't do anything about it. There's nothing you can do at all. We're, we're hopeless here, man. This unit's a piece of crap. The, 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 like he was talking smack on all the, all the people that are up there in the chain of command. And I was like, well, I'm sure there's something we can do about it. And he just kept saying like, no, no, there's nothing you can do. And I still believe that there's something that you can do about it. I believe anyone's capable of any, anything that they set their mind to. So I started mm -hmm. doing a little bit of reconnaissance around the unit and asking people, well, well, what can you do? What can I do in order to help you improve your, your job? So that's why 
after about two years being in this unit, there's been a change in morale because I would always go to these meetings that they, they were always optional, but I would go to these meetings that they would hold um, for the unit or for just uh, the, the cadre. And mm -hmm. I would advocate on behalf of things that weren't addressed. Now, it wasn't primarily around mental health, but it and the underlying reason behind why it wasn't addressed was because of not dealing with mental health. So I would mm -hmm. advocate on behalf of issues that should be addressed at the unit. And I'm, I'm glad to say that we have made some strides and progress. And I won't stop because I'm passionate about what I talk about. And I'm passionate for advocating on behalf of those unspoken voices because those voices deserve to be heard. Yeah, well, I applaud you because I can, I can literally, I can feel it through the, the speaker, how profound this means to you, how profound this is to you and the strides that you're making to change this reality for other people because it shouldn't be as it is now, right? People should feel like they have a space. People should feel like their voices deserve to be heard. And how have you... How have you built confidence around advocating for other people? Because it's hard to be a leader and an advocate of things that are so personal and currently looked down upon by society. So how did you find your voice and your strength and courage in having that advocacy for, for the health of other people and your own? It's simple, actually. I would advocate on behalf of things that weren't addressed because I would advocate on them because I wanted that change to happen for myself, too. I wanted to be happy, mm -hmm. and I'm sure other people wanted to be happy as well. So I would bring up issues that I was uncomfortable with, and more than I would get surprisingly really good response from it from people that were also in uh, in, in, in those, in those non-positions of influence. Like They would come to me and say, I appreciate you addressing that. And they would ask me, like, why did you why did you address them? Like, because that's how I feel, too. Like, I, I'm very passionate about why we should progress forward instead of progress backwards. You know, like, it's just unfair that they dismiss a lot of the things that if they didn't dismiss would actually create sustainability and growth. We want growth. Mm -hmm. The retention rate in the military right now is at an all time low. And I know I shouldn't be saying that, but it is. And people, especially given the current political climate, don't feel like they want to advocate on behalf of a country that's not taking mm -hmm. care of their better needs, of their important needs, those mm -hmm. mental needs as well. Like a vast majority of the unemployment in the United States was due to the fact that these workers were not only burnt out, but these employers had no kind of regard for that of their mental health for their employees. And when you have mm -hmm. the systemic issue that you're not addressing, then of course it's going to create a lot of disillusion and people also feeling like they're unvalidated in their efforts to try to create uh, sustainable growth. And yeah. when you don't give people that acknowledgement, then they feel like what they're doing is not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. And a lot of, mm -hmm. luckily in the, in the inception of the pandemic, a lot of employers had to migrate to, well, they had to kind of shift their campaign in order to take care of their workers by giving them more mm -hmm. days off, more days of reprieve, giving them paid days off, vacation days, also setting up programs to take care of the mental health of their workers as well. And I'm glad to see that there is this shift in helping the, the morale because you can't have a functioning workforce or a functioning relationship or you can't build on trust if you don't take care of the underlying reason under that trust, which oh, is yeah. emotional stability. 
Oh my gosh, preach it loud and clear so everybody in the back can hear it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. I love that you're advocating for this because it's so true. Like the amount of productivity lost, the amount of potential loss simply because there wasn't, a, there haven't been spaces for people to express themselves when it's such a simple thing. Um, I feel like we shy away from difficult conversation. Even you were saying how you felt that there were people in your life who you felt didn't hold space for you simply as a byproduct of the fact that we fear emotions so deeply, right? Like we feel that mm -hmm. they're kind of, they're going to, they, they could end us or that they could, you know, determine some fatal outcome. When in reality, it's just about noticing what they're bringing up for you and what they are reflecting about you and your value systems. And I love that that's the lens that you're taking with it because the amount of growth that could be made in these spaces simply by being like, you know, I feel this emotion, not I am this emotion, or this emotion is going to dictate how I function in the future per se is so valuable for shifting this conversation in spaces like the one that you're in, which is in the military. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree because I feel mm -hmm. like if you don't really address the underlying issues behind why there isn't any form of growth or sustain uh, sustainability, then you, you really can't f find what the root cause analysis of that issue is. And then when you mm -hmm. dismiss it, then it creates more, more issues so that then you have to try to, I guess, sugarcoat or cover up in a sense, or yeah. just not address at the expense of the emotion that it would invoke on people. And they do that because they don't want to look weak. But there's oh, a difference yeah. between looking weak and being strong. I personally feel as though when you feel comfortable expressing your emotions about something that you're passionate about, then there's no weakness in it. There's strength in you being able to show who you are and how passionate uh, you are about what it is that you're advocating on behalf of. And mental health awareness is becoming more prominent in today's society, given the nature of the fact that there is so much of a huge disconnect besides that of what um, what's portrayed on social media, but in just overall humanity and the conversations that we have with people on a day to day basis, people feel more comfortable looking at their phones and having dismissive conversation or small talk yeah. at the expense of a uh, more elaborate discussion or dialogue with someone at the, because there, there's some kind of a, a fear behind expressing to that person, how you are, uh, how you feel about something like, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's like a, I call it personally a veil of deception, but I, there, mm -hmm. there are better term terminology out there. I'm just using that for lack of better term. Um, mm -hmm. But I just feel like there's a disconnect because of people being afraid to express who they are at the expense of being judged for expressing those emotions. Yeah. It shouldn't absolutely. be that way. No, it shouldn't. And I, I, I like that you brought social media and our phones into the conversation because I think that in some way it's given us a scapegoat right like if you're angry it's way easier to send a passive aggressive text rather than having the the willingness to just sit through an uncomfortable conversation and like you said we also hide behind our phones now right we avoid that social interaction that social awkwardness by whipping on our phones like as soon as we are in an uncomfortable position and this app has been so nice to I guess kind of shift the use of the phone into something mm -hmm. that is connecting us with people who want to have these conversations and who are willing to be open. But 
I think that in retrospect, as you mentioned, it's done more harm than good in some ways because now it's way easier to hide and show only the highlight reels of your life to others on social media, right? And that has done more harm than good because then people are perceiving that that is the reality that should prevail when it's kind of like the iceberg analogy, right? They're only seeing the tip of the, the, the tip of the iceberg and what's underneath is being hidden from, from their view. Yeah, yeah. Wholehearted, like once again, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I'm not one to really like go out of my way to try to convince people that I'm something that I'm not because I personally feel as though that requires too much effort and I'm not going to try yeah. to portray myself in a sense that I don't even believe in because I feel like you lose a sense of who you truly are if you try to depict to people something that mm -hmm. you're not because then you have to follow up with that kind of persona that you're depicting which is why some actors have gotten out of the business or some artists some music artists have stopped creating music and content because of the fact that there is there's this, the way the system is arranged, uh, not only through conformity, but the way the system is structured is so that it depicts to people uh, a sense of fantasy that that, that life can be, uh, I guess, uh, well, in an alternate kind of way. Like I, I'm trying to mm -hmm. word this. I don't have the words. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. I'm pick, I'm catching what you're picking. What am I? What am I saying? I'm. <laughs> You're good. I'm picking. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Is what I meant to say. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Uh huh. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to asking you about how you got enrolled in the military. If this is something that you can share with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. um oh, I'm sorry. I, go ahead. You mentioned. Sorry. Just. Just to give context, you mentioned that you started out. And when you did start out, you were kind of at the lowest of the low in terms of rankings in, um, I guess, in, on your team. And that has now clearly propelled you to now being in a position where you are responsible for more people and you're in a leadership position. What made you choose the military and how did being, how did it feel to be at the lowest of the low did, did you feel like that in any way paralleled what you experienced when you were a child? And did that propel you forward? Okay, so three questions. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was one. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good. I just, there's so much I want to unpack here. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're good. I love it. Um, So I feel like the military chose me as opposed to me choosing the military in, in an ironic oh, sense. Okay. I say that because um there was... What got the thought in my head was I was in a in a police program. So I was in an auxiliary police program. And it was uh, it was an explorer's program. And, and certain police stations still uh, and precincts have this kind of program where they help the youth uh, understand the work behind law enforcement so that when they graduate from that program, they become a, a, um, a potential recipient of working for that police station. Like I actually know a few mm -hmm. people that were in that program that I was in that now work for my uh, city's local police station, which I'm very proud of. And some of them are mm -hmm. state troopers. Like I'm really proud of them. Um, oh, that's amazing. So I was in this program for about five years and it, I, I, I understood and they taught us a lot of classes um, of just overall police work and what to look for. And most of which I, 
have to be delicate talking about because some of which I, I can't share, but it was very, it was a very insightful mm -hmm. program to say the least. Um, but that's not what propelled me to join the military. There was a recruiter that came into my high school class. And I know that recruiters do this, obviously, um, not as much as they once used to, given the current uh, climate, but um, mm -hmm. a recruiter came in my classroom and he wasn't really well received and everybody dismissed what he said, but he put on one heck of a show. And mm -hmm. I was among one of the few people that consulted him after the class. And I asked him a lot of questions. And I, after that came home, and told my dad, I was like, hey, Pops, um, I know you've been in the military. Um, mm. what, what would you give me as far as advice goes? And he was telling me that he didn't want me to join the military, not because of, well, I think it was probably because of like the fears and what could happen. Yeah. And he also had his experiences as well. And when you serve for quite a uh, time, it can become numbing as far as emotions mm -hmm. go because of the experiences that you endure, the environments that you're in and the people that you come across so on mm -hmm. and so forth. So I can understand why he was reluctant to tell me to join the military based on the experiences mm -hmm. that he endured previously. And it didn't just, it, well, it, it did kind of discourage me. So mm -hmm. I didn't really do anything after that, but I always had that thought in the back of my mind. And one day, I would say about a year and uh, a year and a half after that initial conversation that I had with my father, I was randomly looking online at a recruitment website because I believe I was shown some kind of ad. Um, mm -hmm. And I navigated to that because I was also going back and forth with a recruiter for the Marines. And he was, these, I got to say, recruiters are persistent. <laughs> they are, very, they will <laughs> contact mm -hmm. you at two o'clock in the morning saying, hey, uh, so just checking in on you. Are you still joining? Oh so my gosh, um, wow. I was very, very flaky with the recruiter because I was still in that, I was very reluctant to join based off of the conversations that I would have with people leading up to that. Um, my, my decision of joining. But after thinking about it, I went onto a website that was guided for me from an ad. And I, mm -hmm. it was like typing your area code and stuff. So and a recruiter would reach out to you. So I just thought at that point, you know what, what the heck. So mm -hmm. I put that into the universe. And then about maybe no longer than two days afterwards, a recruiter, Sergeant Fell, who I still am uh, in contact with, she was, uh, I was actually her first ever recruit. She had just gotten into recruiting oh, and it was nice. a great, it was, it, was, it was really great. Um, mm -hmm. so I got in contact with her. She reached out to me and we started to navigate through the process, which was very arduous. It's, uh, it takes a lot to get actually into the military as mm -hmm. easy as they make it sound. It's not, it's, it's, it's not that easy <laughs> at gotcha. all. Mm -hmm. Um, through that, I was like, okay. And I felt discouraged along the way because of the, the arduous process, but I still kept going because something was telling me like, just Malcolm, just, just try this out, see where it goes. And I think what propelled me even further was people telling me not to join because of my reluctance, I would still ask people about their take on the military. So I consulted my mm -hmm. cousins, uh, people, uh, people, in my family that are in the military serving right now overseas. And I would ask them, Hey, um, do you think I should join so on and so forth? They told me the good things, the bad things. And I finally made a decision for myself um, and finally said, why, why not? What, what's the worst that could happen? And, you know, one, I think personally, and this is a, is a, might be a trigger warning. Um, one of the cynical thoughts that cross people's minds upon joining the military is, you know, worst case scenario, I die. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. it's, it, what, it was honestly what, what made me even more fascinated because of the risk mm -hmm. associated with it. 
it's, it's, that sounds weird, but I was like, you know, I, I really want to get into something and be a part of a team because, you know, they dress these commercials up really great. You know, they make it look all fabulous. Whatever you see in these uh, military commercials, that's not the reality. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah um, I, I progressed further through the, the process through MAPS Military Insurance Processing Station. And then from there, I uh, finally got um, mobilized and went to basic training, which sucked. But it was a uh, uh, useful experience. Yeah. Um, okay, to touch on that training. That answers one of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We can we can keep we can keep going at this and I'm sure it will answer the other two. So uh, <laughs> that training that was physical training, like boot camp or I'm sorry? The, the training that you, you mentioned um, when you got into the military, that was physical training, kind of like the, the hell week that's talked about a lot, or? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, here's, so here's something about me, and anybody who follows me on Instagram will know that I post this on my stories last night. Um, so, something about my life philosophy is that I think that you should try to do one to two really physically demanding things oh my god i saw year. that <laughs> well there you Sorry. go so so you, know, so you know where i'm going on with this so it's because i believe that when you subject yourself to those limits you it's helping you see past your own limits but also you are training your mind to you're you're training yourself to overcome your mind's resistance right because when you do something that's physically demanding and you have to go out and train for it every single day your mind's always going to say no, 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 because it's it, it's expecting, it's anticipating the discomfort that's coming for it, right? And um, obviously that looks different for everybody, and I know that it doesn't necessarily have to be physical, but when you were doing this training and you were seeing that, you know, I'm just a rookie here, I'm just getting mm -hmm. started, I'm at the lowest of the low, what was that like for you? And what did that shift in you? Like, how did that change your outlook on, on yourself? Oh my goodness. You, you, that's a great question, Mariana. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. Okay. So I'm going to have to Please. preface with the, with the experience that I had leading up to me finally coming, mm -hmm. um, becoming more one with myself, I guess, becoming more confident with myself and my actions. Um, mm -hmm. Basic training was a breaking point for me. And, you know, when mm -hmm. some people don't, past basic training because of the very arduous tasks that they put you through the obstacle courses the training like one of the <laughs> one of the training courses is like a gas chamber so they put you in a chamber oh, to test yeah i know it's <laughs> it, it is as bad as it sounds uh, as a kinesiologist that makes me want to vomit <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like thinking human physiology here, but anyway, it did make us well too. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was a. It was like a resilience test, and a lot of it was mm. more mental. No, I'm lying. It was mental and physical, um, mm -hmm. demanding, and some people didn't pass through the course. And when I finally graduated, because if you don't pass through the course, you either have the option to go home, and um, so, you know, go home or continue to go through it but you get put into a mm -hmm. um a hold over phase and i won't elaborate on that but long story short they basically keep you there longer so you have to go through all that training again it's like a complete reset that's oh. i would never wish it on anybody and i would feel bad for the holdovers um yeah so going through that experience 
taught me to become more resilient of myself because I feel as though I was limiting myself and, and, and my and just my I was giving so many limitations and giving myself so many excuses. And one thing that mm -hmm. propelled me is that I didn't want to go home saying that I tried and, and and I'm not knocking anyone that does that that tries something and says and it doesn't work out and well actually I am. Um with that being <laughs> said, I, I think I think that it taught me that I have to be it's okay to be uncomfortable. I think it's important to be uncomfortable so you can continue to grow. And from that, the mm -hmm. the thought that was propelling me through these challenges was the fact that, well, I've already gone through that. I might as well continue to keep going so I can see what my full limitations are. You'll never really see what your mm -hmm. true potential is until you test your resilience, until you start mm -hmm. to push yourself outside of what you're normally accustomed to. Because breaking outside of that comfort zone it unlocks so many things. It really yeah. does. It helps you see what you're truly capable of and more. It, it even like what Stephen was talking about yesterday on the show was with, with the experiences that he endured. It it made it helped him through uh, the great leadership that guided him through the process become more confident with not only his physical uh, his physical um, impairments at the time, um, mm -hmm. but also with with his self confidence. So. With mm -hmm. being at the lowest of the low, I was like, well, you know, I've already, I'm finally a soldier in the military. I, I might as well continue to progress to see what I'm capable of accomplishing. So if I've, you know, if you can essentially be tortured, then, you know, there's, there's <laughs> nothing, there's nothing worse than, than that. Because once you finally graduate from basic training in AIT, advanced individual training, which is uh, job training for the job that you sign up for in the military, mm -hmm. you... Um, honestly progress from there and it becomes a lot easier because now since you're in the work is not as tasking as it once used to be so basically mm -hmm. that that huge resilience test that I went through was what gave me that resilience to, to persevere through the minor challenges that the military brings upon uh, soldiers but I will not I'd be lying if I said that with the things that we do that it isn't still um, mentally tasking but you, you, because you have that previous resilience, it helps you persevere, especially when you're in a position where you can't do anything except being told what to do and don't thinking of it. They tell you to turn your brain off. And that's literally mm -hmm. what I would have to do because I'm a brainiac. So I would have to literally <laughs> shut mm -hmm. my brain off and not think about what it is that I'm being told, told to do. So you basically have to have blind trust. Um, mm -hmm. And progressing through that, now being in a position where I see people that finally graduated from basic and AIT um, coming to the unit, I can understand what they've gone through. So I want to be that person because when I first got to the unit, I didn't have anyone to be there to help me understand the unit. And I kind of appreciated that now looking back at it because it helped me understand what was what was going on, understand the environment and understand how I can um, navigate through that. So I honestly got uh dove in very deep. Not, I didn't go in from the shell and I, I kind of got submerged in the water without being told how to swim in the simplest way that I can equate how I had mm. to, had, mm -hmm. how I had to migrate to the environment. Um, and with that being said, seeing other soldiers at lower ranks, I'm like, well, I want to be here to let you know that this is going to suck, but it will suck a lot less because you have someone like me that understands what's going on. So now I can guide you accordingly. Oh, yeah. So that way it make, it'll be a much more, uh, much less arduous experience. Yeah, that's so important because I feel that I I see this in university, especially when as it pertains to professors. And I also have to be delicate on this topic because this could also get me in trouble. But <laughs> I feel that it's become this environment of survival of the thickest or the, the thickest. Jesus, the fittest. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Survival of the fittest. And um, 
it's, I feel like people are losing sight of what it really means to be a mentor and a leader. And I think that it's now being painted as this thing of, oh, let me just hold your hand and walk you through how to do everything. When in reality, I think that it's actually about showing your mentee, the person that you are mentoring, that they are actually capable of doing it themselves. But you just have to have, you just have to show up there with words of encouragement and a little bit of guidance to help them see in the right direction. But you're not getting so fully involved that you're walking them through it, right? And when the approach of, here, I'm just throwing you in here, no cap, no guidance, it can be such an overload that people end up quitting, not because they're not capable, but because they feel weak, they feel directionless, and as such, it is such an impedance to the potential and the success that they could fulfill if somebody was just willing to show them the way even a little bit. So I love that you're taking that feeling of directionlessness and using it now to help people in your unit. And Yeah, because I hate being confused. <laughs> yeah, who me. doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> and I I want to know, so you went through all of that, you learned to shut off your brain and just submerge yourself in the discomfort and you learn to overcome a lot of your mind resistance. Do you feel that in those experiences you you met little Malcolm perhaps? Like how did overcoming all of this help you build, if at all, a relationship with your inner child and how did that help you see what you went through when you were younger? Another good question. Oh, um, um, <laughs> huh, hmm. okay. So when I got into the military, um, because of the, 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 the experiences that you endure, I would break down all the time. I mm -hmm. felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like I was incapable of accomplishing, um, what my peers were accomplishing and they made it look so easy because there were some really like high speed people that were like do they were this pt test was and now it's it's even more difficult than it was before they they actually recently changed the pt test but at the mm -hmm. time i was a different kind of person um and once again touching on the previous conversation that i had with steve mccall one of the things he said as well was that he i didn't and we both equated to it it, it kind of shaped our lives and changed our lives for the better and I didn't go in with that thought. I was like, man, this is going to suck even worse. And I feel like when you go into something with the idea that it, it, won't, it won't work out, then it won't work out. It will not work out. If you tell mm -hmm. yourself that you're capable of, despite the challenges that you could in, uh, encounter, persevere through it, then that's, that's honestly, that's powerful. And it will guide you, honestly, through the challenges that you face if you remind yourself why you joined in the first place, why you're doing what you're doing in life in the first place. And as someone that ha couldn't have the voice to speak on that at the time, to now having a position, kind of a position, because my position is still not high compared to that of my peers and everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very rewarding because you have the, uh, it's, it's how, how can I say this? It's, it's like, it's honestly bliss to me. Because mm -hmm. not having anything makes you appreciate having something. And oh, wow. with, yeah. with that bearing in mind, I just personally feel like uh, what a true mentor is to me 
and this is what my mentors before me showed me. And this is why I, 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 I personally view the word mentorship as something completely different. But I think true mm-hmm. mentorship is showing someone the ugly and how they can persevere that, persevere through that so they can mm-hmm. see and reach their full potential. And I personally feel a certain kind of way to people that would try to mentor me by only showing me the positives instead of the negatives, because I feel like you're not giving, you're not giving me the whole experience on what I could encounter, because how can you expect me to be resilient through the challenges that I face? If you only show me the good sides and not the bad sides, that's why I think it's important yeah. to show them the ugly. So through that and bearing that in mind, that's honestly what helped me remind myself who I am and what I can do going forward. I don't believe that actually answered your question though. Um, can you ask <laughs> oh, question one more time because I, I know that I was going to go down a rabbit hole and also no. my time is running out so I want to hop you're good yeah yeah we will let Malcolm hop back in here because I'm definitely not done I have more questions that are simmering <laughs> and I need to get them out <laughs> so simmering um, I love it I, they are simmering they're gonna the, the pot's gonna the, the lid of the pot is about to fall off I don't know I love what I'm it. trying to say <laughs> Uh, my initial question was, do you feel like you met, I guess, what is now conventionally referred to as your inner child in those moments where you were facing the ugly? I met my my inner child through this experience because I was a certain kind of person joining, um, and I'm a certain kind of person now after being in for so long because I never really had the, I was... I didn't have the opportunity to really express my inner child through the experiences that I endured because my childhood was very limiting and I didn't have uh, mm-hmm. the conventional childhood that some people do uh, with parents and yeah, and not mm-hmm. having that kind of experience and going through what I went through, I explored a whole plethora of new feelings that I really didn't have the time to process and being in a, in a fast paced and moving environment where they're just like, go, go, go. You're not supposed to stop. Keep going. Stop giving up. That honestly motivated me mm-hmm. because I didn't really have any motivating factors um, except for what the environment entailed. Like what motivated me was, and it, it may sound backwards, but what motivated me was me having to process what was going, what I was going through at the time. But in a, in a, Mm-hmm. In a in a in a at a rate that I could continue to progress forward instead of it hindering me, because one of my drill sergeants would come up, he would he would well, of course say some very discouraging words, but it was also motivating as well in a sense that it you have to you really honestly have to. What did he say? How did he phrase it? If you spend more time dwelling on the emotions that you're trying to process, then you won't go you won't progress further in your goals. And he said that to me because he saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself, but because I was in an environment prior to joining the military that I was always limited, my potential was always limited and no one helped me see what my true potential was. I, at that point was like, wow, I can see my true potential. So because I would deprive myself of seeing that, well, I didn't deprive myself. I was deprived of that potential through my environments. Mm -hmm. I had the chance to explore Mm -hmm. these emotions that I never really had the chance to, to actually, you know, look into because I would just, I was a huge smart aleck before I joined and I thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've heard a few of my conversations on here. Like I, I thought I knew everything, you know, how to calculate the Pythagorean theorem and you know, all that other stuff. <laughs> so 
Yeah. I was honestly forcefully acclimated to adapting to how I can process these emotions in a healthy format so that I can continue to push forward through the stuff that yeah. people would normally dismiss and try to build excuses. Because I feel as though people that make excuses for themselves, well, some people that make excuses for themselves may be the exact kind of person that's not really taking the opportunity to explore their emotions, to process what they're going through, and to try to find a way to persevere through that, but instead become complacent to their environment through self-limiting people, which is why I think it's important to have influences in your life that push you. Holy. Oh my gosh. That was so good. I love that you said that. I recently, well, I'll say two things. One, I just want to acknowledge that I'm sure we all felt really smart when we learned the Pythagorean theorem. And then when real life happened and we all <laughs> <laughs> realized that unless you're an engineer, odds are you're not really going to use it. Um, our dreams were all crushed. Mm-hmm. So I just want to acknowledge that <laughs> yeah. you're not the only one feeling <laughs> the same because <laughs> I felt very similar. And I, the second thing that I want to say is that I recently heard a, or saw a quote on Instagram by, um, my muse, my idol, Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist, uh, the author of How to Do the Work, if anybody here is familiar with that. And she said that when she was, she said, I looked at my toxic relationships and I noticed one thing that was the same in all of them. And that was me. And Ooh. I want to tie that back to what That's you deep. said, because what you, it is, hey. But <laughs> she said that, um, you talking about how we limit ourselves with people who also self-limit to justify perhaps where we are now and the effort that we're not putting in now is like blew my mind because i had never really conceptualized it that way and it's so important to admit to ourselves because then we are self-sabotaging right so how are you with that knowledge now approaching your relationships and how do you tell if you're with somebody who is also self-limiting well i used to be what they call in today's society uh uh save us i would always try to save people and Mm. i wasn't saving myself um, so I wasn't mm. really looking at my own emotions, but more so trying to understand that person's emotions and what they were going through. And in that process, I was bogging myself down as well, putting myself in a very low kind of, uh, functioning, uh, like a very low vibration. And at the expense of doing that, I realized that I was sabotaging my own growth. So when I started to realize that I was sabotaging mm. my own growth at the expense of trying to understand other people's emotions when they really didn't deal with theirs, and them trying to like throw that all on me and expect me to carry that baggage when they really should be dealing with that baggage themselves before getting involved with me, I would easily see that really fast. So it was like a telltale sign. And I believe I've had this kind of conversation quite some time ago on one of my oldest talks and it still resonates me uh, with me to this day because that's still something I personally feel like people should still be cognizant of when being involved with anyone to any relationship capacity, whether it's romantic, whether it's traditional, whether it's, uh, you know, like, uh, just to just to any capacity. So I had to learn mm, yeah. how to see those signs, and when to know how I can help them, but not to the point at which it's starting to hinder me from my growth as well, because I will notice 
and this is just a little like a little uh, sidebar. Um, mm-hmm. I would, and and with what you brought about that therapist saying that, that actually resonated with me. So that's why I want to bring the sidebar in. I noticed that when I would get involved in romantic relationships, that it was at the expense of trying to feel like that person. I tried to yearn for that person's acceptance so, so heavily. Like I relied on that person's mm-hmm. acceptance. Was It was because I didn't accept myself first through the experiences that I had. So I was still in a way indirectly letting my previous experiences from the past that I endured hinder me from my own growth so I can continuously grow with people. And when I felt like I was unworthy of being around those people that were at very high function points apart from me, I had to ask myself, why am I doing this to myself? I'm self-sabotaging myself. So I, in those, in those relationships, give me just one. No problem. We'll take a breather here. Hope everybody's writing all of this wisdom down because I'm sitting here absolutely mind blown at everything that Malcolm is sharing here. I'm blowing my own mind too because I'm thinking, like <laughs> as as we speak, I'm like thinking about all these experiences, and I'm like, wow. I'm wow, so glad. That's what this is for. That's what this is for. So I'm so glad. But please continue. Uh, so me going through those relationship experiences honestly helped me um, not only with self confidence, but also being able to see the signs um, beforehand before becoming too involved with that individual that was not at a good functioning point. But I wanted to constantly dismiss my own emotions at the expense of thinking that I could repair that. And if I couldn't repair that, I would try so hard to repair that even though I realized even though I knew that I wasn't a complete problem, but I would just always try to fix something that Mm. I couldn't, it wasn't up to me to fix it was up to that person to fix that for themselves. So we both could progress forward. But through the constant failure in that, was what made me complacent to the fact that I, I guess that's all I'll ever have is just broken relationships with people. So being in the low mm. functioning point, I was subjected to being around toxic influences that also exhibited very similar behavior characteristics as me. And seeing that helped me see myself. I was like, oh my God, Malcolm, mm. why are you doing this? I was like, oof, mm, this is not it. So yeah, <laughs> totally. It helped me honestly progress if that answers your question. Because I realized that I was going to go down even a deeper rabbit hole. But I, had to, <laughs> I had to bring it back. No, no, you're good. You're good. I, I love that you touched on that about how you realize that the people around you are a direct reflection of what's going on within yourself. And I think you having that realization is so important for pivoting into, I guess, law of attraction mode here right like what you what you reap you sow what you give off you attract and i think that's that's a perfect example of you can choose your environment you can choose your relationships if you are willing to reflect and perhaps accept that what you are experiencing right now could be a reflection of the work that you need to do within yourself yeah i agree because people become complacent and i i'm at I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but I'm sure there are people that may be able to relate. And if they don't, then I understand. But I was subjected, and I think the longest relationship that recently uh, ended was with my former best friend, Fabian. But I'm still somehow in very great touch with uh, his uh, counterparts uh, as a mm-hmm. result of that because they saw something differently in me than I 
than they saw in him. But mm-hmm. that relationship, I was best friends. Uh, we were best friends. We were insufferable for about 11 years. So oh, that wow. that relationship with and of itself took a huge toll on not only my mental health, but through the people that I would encounter as well. And I would try to, it, I would try to always constantly give him excuses because people would ask me like, why are you with this guy? You, you're not this kind of person. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't tell me who you think I am. And I realized the not only how I was reacting, but seeing how he would react to those circumstances as well and how he was at such a huge low functioning point and how, how, how he, his behavior influenced my behavior because of me trying to save him so much because I would always try to save him and I would always try to rescue him from the bad experiences that he endured through the mm-hmm. toxic people that he dealt with. And it becomes, it, it's like a down effect. So like, if you know, if you know someone that's toxic, I, I don't even want to use the word toxic, but if you know somebody that's at a very low functioning point and that person is dealing with people, other people that are at low functioning points as well. And I'm dealing with th- that person that's dealing with people that are at a low functioning point, then by proxy, I'm becoming a product of that energy. Thus me not doing anything about that kind of, that, that kind of feeling that I'm feeling because I think that it's justified. And with me trying to, with me struggling with fitting in and finding what works in the interest of my pursuits and my goals, my intuitions, my desires, my happiness versus my sadness. Mm-hmm. That's when I honestly had to really separate myself from that. And the relationship ended uh, in turmoil, but I learned something yeah. great from it because I realized who I am now as opposed to who I was when I was in that low functioning point with that person that was messing with other people that were in low functioning points as well. And it's it's just very, and I guess I'll use the word intoxicating um, mm-hmm. because you it's, it's an unconscious behavior after a while, because if you don't have people that are willing to push you outside of who you are, or push you to be a better you, then you become, I guess, uh, non-conscious to the behavior uh, characteristics that you exhibit on a daily basis and some people which i call them and label them as lost are lost and not mm. understanding themselves so that's where it takes yeah. that that true introspection through what you're going through and it's not easy for people to pivot f- through this kind of experience i mean i have endured this for 11 years so mm-hmm. it, it took me about after and it's been two years since that no three years now actually four no three years no mm-hmm. Two and a half, to be specific, um, <laughs> gotcha. to finally process and, and, and in a sense, retrain myself uh, to, to understand myself because I was, I was not happy with who I was at that point. I knew mm-hmm. that I was not happy with who I was, but that's all I was ever subjected to. So I didn't know anything other than what I was accustomed to. And from that, I was complacent and I didn't want to explore anything outside of what I was already experiencing because of being Mm -hmm. afraid of the unknown or being afraid of being rejected. So I honestly had to really recondition myself, kind of like with the military. When I joined, I had to recondition my frame of thinking. And it's like, and it takes a lot because when you have so many neurological connections building these memories in your head, you're basically, because the way our brain works is it works in patterns. You're basically mm-hmm. conditioning yourself, reconditioning yourself to outside of the normal behavior habits that you exhibit because a lot of them are unconscious. And when you tap into that unconscious sphere of thinking and you actually start to introspect into that kind of thinking, you can actually look and sift through what you like and what you don't like. And I think for me, what has worked to, to progress through that is to um, document how I felt um, when I felt those low function points, like whenever I would mm. feel deceived, whenever I would feel hurt and, and, and so much insufferable pain, 
I was always saying, like, why am I choosing to put up with this pain? You know, I, I've been complacent so long and I've chosen to accept this. And now that I'm choosing not to accept this, I'm still allowing this kind of energy to come into my life. So now I need to I need to think even further. I need to actually ask myself and ask other people about that as well. So I seek therapy after that that terminalist relationships, relationships, plural. Um, mm -hmm. And it helped out tremendously because I was being challenged with questions that I normally wasn't challenged on a ba ba uh, daily basis. And those were questions that I was constantly avoiding asking myself. And I would always feel attacked because I felt like they were attacking my personality, my ego and everything. And I had to throw all of that literally aside. And that's what I had to do when I joined the military as well, because I was a certain kind of person. Mm. So when you undergo these changes in your life, some of some people may not be willing to accept that change because it may require too much work to persevere from that constant change. And you may feel as though that they are trying to um, make you not be yourself in, a, in, a, in, a, in the simplest way that I can phrase that in lack of uh, terminology. But it, it, it can become honestly, um, well, it can become very difficult very difficult. That's why you, you really have to remind yourself on a constant basis as you seek therapy, uh, not only through these therapists, but through self-therapy. And, and honestly, uh, taking the time to reflect and separate yourself from those negative environments, see who you truly are. Self-exploration is imperative to growth. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that whole story with us, because I'm sure that it's something that is felt by a lot of people myself included f friend breakups suck <laughs> and mm -hmm. they it's even harder when you realize that you should have left a long time ago or something could have been fixed a long time ago and I think it's super that's why I think that spending time with ourselves and spending time apart with the with from our friends from our partners from our family is so important because when we spend too much time around them or when we perceive that maybe we've become dependent on them like you said it's really hard to accept that there may be an alternate reality outside of that right and as such that is the biggest hindering point to growth because now you can't even fathom a different reality you don't even stop to question if there's another truth out there for you because you are so comfortable because you are so used to what you're currently living and asking ourselves those questions of, you know, who am I outside of this relationship? What could be better in this relationship is super important. And it doesn't mean that, you know, the relationship is going downhill or that this person isn't meant for you if stuff could be fixed because no relationship being romantic or a friend relationship or a family relationship is ever perfect. And I think that we've come to normalize that like if there's something wrong then this person isn't meant to be in your life it's like no when did perfectionism become the standard or the norm right and so having those moments where you reflect on the relationship or you reflect on how is this person pushing me to be a better version of myself which i think is really hard too right like you can be super close with somebody but how are you pushing them to make strides in their own growth? How are you being honest with them about, hey, I feel like you are being complacent or you are conforming to your current situation or to the person that you currently are when I feel that you have potential or that you could be better. And so 
I appreciate you opening up conversation about this because I think that it's something that has to be normalized. Like, yes, friend breakups and romantic breakups hurt, but you can still reflect on everything they gave you. Like, you can still reflect on what they've taught you and what you're bringing into the next relationship based off of what you learned from them. You worded that way better than I could have ever. Um, so <laughs> no, come I, on. thank you. No, seriously. Like I, you articulated everything that was like in my head, but I didn't know how to say it. And I appreciate you for that as well as just your response. In addition to just, just being here. Like I, I, this, I appreciate this conversation and I just want to acknowledge oh, that. Like I do too. Thank you. I do too. Thank you. I want to ask you one more question and then we can enter the uh, the rapid fire round that I traditionally host on these episodes, if you don't mind. Mm, yeah, sure. Cool. So the last broader question I want to ask you is kind of chiming back to what you were talking about as it pertains to mental health and mentorship. You mentioned that to you, being a true mentor is somebody that shows your mentees the, the ugly and now that you are in a position where you are mentoring people, where you are being an advocate for other people's voices in mental health, how are you showing them the ugly? Huh, that's a, a great question. Um, So what I do is I ask them what their expectations are for what they expect. Mm -hmm. They tell me what their expectations are. Then I show them the opposite of what that is, the true reality behind that expectation. Oh. And then mm -hmm. and in the process of doing that, I help them understand that there is work behind that to achieve the expectation that they initially wanted in the first place. So it's mm -hmm. letting them know the, the harsh reality of the situation but also letting them know that there's still there's always room for improvement and growth through the ugly because mm. that's how we that's how we grow is through the ugly situations that we've endured. Otherwise, mm -hmm. back to the previous conversation, you know, you become complacent, and I don't want yeah. I don't want people to feel as though they I don't want people to limit their ability to grow. I want them to understand that there are going to be things that you will dislike about what it is that you're doing, but it shouldn't stop you from growing. Like mm -hmm. uh, one movie I can equate to this is Training Day uh, with Denzel Washington. Uh, Washington. Oh, he okay. was a cop and he was training another cop. So his frame mm -hmm. of training, the, the rookie cop, was showing him the he, – he took him in the ugliest part of the city um, on his first rookie day instead of showing him the best parts of the city mm -hmm. because he wanted him to understand that being a cop is not all, you know, glitz and glamour and, and glory it's it's about the, the true struggles of trying to understand uh, who you are in your role and your position and what you are here to do in this job in this workforce and the things that you will encounter and instead of because there are and i i will speak delicately about this but there, there mm -hmm. are cops that have been unfortunate that have lost their lives due to the insufficient training that they received and I've mm -hmm. th because they didn't receive adequate training 
they essentially failed in the fields of work, unfortunately, due to the system not being able to train them in a way that would help them gather that resilience and understanding of what, the, what they could encounter. And because these cops were put into positions that they weren't trained on, they didn't know how to deal with the circumstances and the situations that unfortunately ended in them losing their lives. And that reflects heavily on the on the chain of command, on the people at the top that aren't training. So to train people to understand that when you get into your, your field of exploration or you start pursuing your goals, your business prospects, anything, any goals, you, you mm -hmm. have to understand that it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. That's that's the important thing. Yeah, and once you understand absolutely. that, you can you can conceptualize how you can strategize through the ugly situations to build that resilience and persevere through the challenges before you. Absolutely. Because those expectations can be your worst enemy when you're in the thick of it right? As soon as expectations are fulfilled, then we feel like, oh my gosh, the world's falling down on us. I'm not meant for this. I did something wrong. When in reality, sometimes it's just about embracing the uncertainty and the discomfort that you are, that is placed before you. I love that that's the approach that you're taking because I think it's sparing a lot of people from a lot of disappointment when they enter a challenge that they perceive to be. We always think it's going to be easier than we think. Well, not always, but a lot of the time we think it's going to be easier than we initially think it will be. When yeah, reality, because that's how social media depicts it. Yeah, and... that's true. Sorry. Mm -hmm. No, 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 you're right. I, I was going to say, like, it's it's so easy to perceive that, that that it's it'll all be all said and done because we only see the before and the after often what that, that people share when, again, running back to the iceberg analogy, you're only seeing the tip of it. Yeah, that's honestly what's helped me. And this is just a random um, sidebar here again. That's honestly what's helped me persevere through like trading on the market and understanding the market and macroeconomics is that it's not as mm -hmm. easy. It's it's not easy. Like the, I would look at all these traders' tactics and techniques and stuff that they would put online and I would still fail. I, I would constantly fail and I became discouraged. I, I quit eventually trading and after losing literally everything in my portfolio. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not cut out for this. I clearly can't do it. I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And it's because they don't tell you what could go wrong. They tell you everything that could go right. Oh my God. And that's where I had to look. That's where I had to look at myself and go, I'm better than, than this. I, I, can, I can learn and acquire the, the sufficient knowledge in order to improve with my trading, which luckily I, ha I definitely have, especially in this current climate. Oh, goodness. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> equating that to what we're talking about, yeah, I, I just... Think it's important to understand that when you when you when you commit yourself to something you have to understand that it's not going to be easy to get there and i think that was the premise mm -hmm. behind the perseverance talk with uh stephen mccall i know i keep touching on that but that's that's uh my go-to for right now <laughs> in the, no in the that's fine that's fine perseverance is is a form of faith right yeah actually mm -hmm. faith mm -hmm. in oneself yes exactly well that was all awesome. And thank you for being such a guiding, advocating voice for so many people. So because you are a guest on the Commit to Growth podcast, the tradition around here is that at the end, before I send you off, we do a rapid fire round of three questions. And the first two are uniform for every guest. So they're, they're the same for every guest. And the third one is tailored to to you and what we've been talking about. So you can answer these in about a sentence or a word, whatever first comes to mind, but 
it's rapid fire round, so you got to answer them as fast as you can. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. The first question is, what is your favorite quote? I would say, I actually have it. Oh, darn it. I'm going to fail this round. I, I have like a whole bunch of quotes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, You're uh, good. All right. My Yikes. Take your time. Um, so my my favorite motivational quote is, if you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. And that's by Steve Jobs. Mm, oh, I could not agree with that more. It's like the, the thing I keep telling myself is that you're not stressed because I remember I heard this quote, but you're not stressed because you're doing too much. You're stressed because you're doing too little of the things that make you full. Mm -hmm. And I think that parallels exactly what you said. So love it. Filled with substance. <laughs> Second question <laughs> is, what is a song that is currently stuck in your head? I would say my own music as, uh, as, uh, as weird as that may sound, but my, my own mm -hmm. music is my pride, my joy, uh, my sense of fulfillment. So mm -hmm. my, own my own music is stuck in my own head. Oh my gosh. I'm going to pull a plug here for anybody who no. is looking for new music. <laughs> I won't expose you, but um, Malcolm is an insanely talented musician. As a test, as somebody who can testify to that, like, I don't know how you're not viral yet. So if you ever share your music with people, um, just know that it is on my end so well received and I'm sure will be very well received by other people who listen to it because it is just out of this world. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that sincerely. Of course, of course. And I'm happy that you like it so much to the point that it's stuck in your own head. That is what we want. That is what we want. Your third question is, what is something, if you could go back in time and tell younger Malcolm one thing, what would it be? One piece of advice. Take it easy. Mm. And mm -hmm. don't stress too much. And it will all mm -hmm. work out. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And again, just want to say that your journey to where you are now speaking to you right now on this platform and just speaking to you as a human being outside this platform is such a beautiful testimony to the decisions that you have made to rewrite your your story from an outcome that could have been entirely different so i just want to say it's such a privilege and such a joy to be connecting with you and thank you for sharing your story with us because it it moved mountains in me and I know that it's doing the same for so many people I also would like to add that um, despite the, the the growth that I've made thus far I'm still looking to grow each and every single day as I mm -hmm. am currently writing the story of Malcolm as we all are writing our own stories each and every single day and the challenges mm -hmm. that we encounter are only only going to be a great thing that you get to think about in the past uh, or reminisce upon when you see 
and remind yourself how valuable and how brilliant you are as a person in this world. So just remind yourself, we're writing our stories each and every single day. Every memory we have, every new memory is uh, another piece we can add to each and every chapter that we have. So just remind yourself, these chapters are, are important. Mm -hmm. I love that. I will be carrying that with me into my week. Thank you, Malcolm. It was such a joy to have you on and you're such a beautiful human being. I'm so excited to keep connecting with you and I look forward to more conversations like these in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having, well, I just repeat the same statement twice, but thank you very much for having <laughs> me. I'm just, I'm just grateful. <laughs> I am grateful too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast, everyone. I hope you took a thing or two away. I took away many, personally, but that's just me. I just It's one of the beauties of being a podcaster. You learn so much every single time without fail. So, like I said, if you loved that, go check out Malcolm. You can find all his information in the footnotes of the show here. Go check him out. Go get his financial advice. Go listen to his conversation on Wisdom. Such a beautiful person. And if you enjoyed this episode, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you liked it, leave us a review and a comment telling me what you learned from this episode. Shoot me your Instagram handle in the comment as well. And if I pick you, then you will get a shout out in the next episode episode you can remember to check out the show on instagram and facebook it's at commitment to growth podcast you can check me out on tiktok too i'm learning how to how to navigate that space <laughs> my username is in the footnotes of the show as well if you enjoyed this episode if you want to be a guest on the show personally or if you want to chat on wisdom because you're over there shoot me a dm on instagram or you can also find my email in the show footnotes and once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing this podcast as your daily source of wisdom and fulfillment and insight. I hope you had a great time. I had a lovely time having you here today. I hope to see you again in the future. And until the next episode, have a great rest of your week.